Hello ladies, my name is Cindy Kickline. Today we are going to dive into 1 Corinthians 13. When I first saw my assignment of this chapter, I said, oh, the love chapter, <clears throat> thinking, oh, how nice. We read this at weddings, see it on posters, framed pictures, etc. As I began to read and reread the chapter, my response became, oh, the love chapter. A bit more weightiness being experienced. This is not just personal but Christ's call to the church, those who have decided to follow him and live in Christian community together. And finally, as I continued reading and studying, my response became, oh wow, the love chapter. As conviction set in, doing its intended work, challenging me to live and love like Christ in all of my life, not just a sweet, gushy, warm, fuzzy feeling, but an action requiring power outside my ability on my own. Are you ready to go on a journey with me through this awesome section of scripture? I'd like to start our journey in 1 Corinthians 13 with a couple quotes regarding this chapter to help focus our thoughts and hearts. First, David Pryor states, this magnificent song of Christian love reveals its fullest and most challenging meaning only when carefully applied into the community life of a local church, such as the one in Corinth. So as I began to see more clearly that this is not just personal, but applies to our life together in our local body here at Cornerstone, Pastor Tim continually challenges us to be a loving church and not just a friendly church. Perhaps this is why. And the second quote is from Chuck Swindoll. He challenges us with this. Let's explore this love chapter with the understanding that we aren't seeking merely to be inspired, but to be challenged and changed. Are you ready for that? This is our goal, right? To be changed, to be more Christ-like, and to walk in our new nature provided for us by Christ through his life, sacrifice, death, and resurrection. As I have read and reread this chapter, I began with preconceived notions of what I remembered about this love chapter, and then I began to look at it in context of all the chapters we have already studied in 1 Corinthians, the truths Paul has emphasized throughout. I was challenged by who is love, and how do I, how do we, follow him in this pursuit of love and loving? Looking back over the chapters we have accomplished so far, Paul has challenged our thinking with a number of things, such as the world's knowledge or wisdom versus spiritual knowledge or wisdom, caring about sharing the gospel more than our comfort and our rights, constantly pursuing unity with other believers, recognition of and exercise of spiritual gifts within the body, warnings against idol worship, Loving one another as we honor each other. Husband-wife relationships. Appropriate celebration of communion. And most important of all, the importance of sharing the gospel above all else. And Paul ends chapter 12 with, And I will show you still a more excellent way. Now as we look at chapter 13, positioned between two chapters regarding spiritual gifts, we see Paul challenging the Corinthians about how these gifts are exercised, specifically with or without love. Let's read verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I have nothing. This is quite a list of spiritual gifts, speaking in languages not learned, whether of men or angels, ability to prophesy messages from God, understanding mysteries and knowledge of God, great faith, great enough to move mountains, willingness to give away all that we have, even willingness to freely give your body to be burned. But here comes the challenge, the rub the soul-searching statement that's mentioned two times, but have not love, I have nothing. David Pryor goes so far as to say, if there is no love, there is nothing of any real value in my ministry. I say, ouch. Pryor mentions that the noisy gongs and clanging cymbals were neither melodious nor capable of producing harmony. Both beat out a heavy monotone and caused as much offense as constantly barking dogs. Imagine how irritating that sound would be in your ear. Offensive, unnerving, distracting, not melodious, working together to produce a pleasing sound, and incapable of producing harmony. Again, not blending together well for a pleasing effect. Think about that analogy to the body of Christ. Am I monotone, all about me? Or do I work harmoniously with my brothers and sisters while all of our gifts from all of the body work together for a sweet sound to and for the Lord? Paul maintains that equally offensive are those who exercise spiritual gifts without love and concern for others. It can be just as distracting, an annoying noise, pulling us from what is most important, Christ and his love and glory. How many times have we felt like we were being used of God to do a great thing, that we were giving up, whatever, fill in the blank for yourself. But if we examine our true motives, thoughts, actions, did we do it out of love? And what kind of love was it? Love for self? Love for God? Love for others? What is this love supposed to be like? What is it not? What does this love look like and do? What does it not look like and not do? Or is the better question, who is this love like? This is where Paul is taking us. Love in the scriptures talks about different categories of love. According to Paul Barnett, we have philia, which is friendship, Storge, which is family affection. I don't know about you, but that one was new to me. Eros, sexual passion. Agape, others-centered concern expressed at great personal cost. According to David Pryor, it is well known that the Greek word for love in the New Testament, agape, was not previously in common use. It was taken into the Greek of the New Testament specifically because the love of God seen in Jesus of Nazareth required a new word. God's love completely transcends all human ideas or expressions of love. 
It is a love for the utterly unworthy, a love which proceeds from a God who is love. It is a love lavished on others without a thought of whether they are worthy to receive it or not. It proceeds rather from the nature of the lover than from any merit in the beloved. This is the love which, according to Jesus, has to characterize and control the Christian community if it is in any sense to be recognized as Christian and if Jesus is to be recognized as God's Son and the world's Savior. So church, let's look at this challenge of love, remembering it is not just personal, but also a charge for us as his church as we live together in Christian community. As I looked at this, I found it helpful to begin underlining and making four lists of what love is, what love is not, what love does, and what love does not do. Verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. So in my lists I find love is patient, kind, never-ending. Love is not arrogant, rude, irritable, or resentful. Love does rejoice with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love does not envy, boast, or insist on its own way, or rejoice at wrongdoing. As we ponder all we have just read and think about our own responses in life and in our church community, it can be riveting, convicting. It is understandable why the new word for love, agape, had to be developed to describe this love, because surely this is not within ourselves naturally. But, God does not call us to do what comes naturally to our sinful selves. He calls us to love like him. And he does not call us to do anything that he does not empower us to do, right? Pastor Tim tells us that all the time. We have his presence, his spirit, and his word to guide us. According to Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we each prayerfully look at this passage, the Lord will undoubtedly reveal to each of us the areas he needs to work with us and will use his word as our guide. Just a few areas he brought home to me were... Love rejoices with the truth. In First. Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. As I look at believes all things, what is my focus? Is my focus truth 
or is my focus lies? Philippians 4, 8 says, Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And as I think about hope, I need to hope in the right things because Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So where do I put my hope? Psalm 42, 11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We just celebrated Christ's resurrection from the dead. Romans 8.11 reminds us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Think about that. Let that sink into your mind and heart. That is amazing power. Transforming, redeeming, victorious power. Do I, do we get that? When I look at love bears, hopes, endures, believes all things, do I get that his power within me gives me the power to deal with that offense in love, agape love, Christ's love that looks out for the concerns of the other, regardless if that person deserves it or not, but just because that is the nature of Christ's love? Do I apply it to my heart's response is not irritable or resentful when once again I am met with and have to deal with a repetitive offense to me? First John in at least two places says God is love. Throughout First John, too many references to mention here, he shows how we who say we love God need to love others. He is the source of this agape, Christ-like love. And hallelujah, he does not leave us powerless. Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand. Philippians 1.6 reminds us that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.13 reminds us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And Galatians 5.22 tells us that that new creation looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or rather who it looks like, Christ himself. I found this section so daunting, so convicting, and the enemy of our souls would love it to be condemning. We have options here in how we react and respond. We can refuse to look at self, not allowing God and his love to reveal our hearts and walk away unchanged. We can allow the enemy to condemn us and walk away defeated. Or we can be willing to sit with our Lord as he ministers his love and power to our hearts. We can follow James 1.24, which says, And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Or we can allow the enemy to condemn us or to remember the truth of Romans 8.1.
This is what we want to remember. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can allow the truth of God's love and kindness to permeate and transform our hearts. As Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He loves us, ladies, and his desire is to work with us, transforming us moment by moment to look more and more like Christ through his power, not ours. As we go back to the text, verses 8 through 12 help us put perspective on love and the other gifts. Verse 8 says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. All the spiritual gifts have importance and should be valued. The Lord has purpose in granting them to his body. They are gifts. But the Corinthians had their perspective out of balance, valuing many of these gifts and the person exhibiting them to a higher level than they ought. I understand that. When I first learned of the spiritual gifts as I was being discipled amidst the charismatic Lutheran renewal, I was enamored. This is what Jesus is really like. This is what he does. The Lord is this relational with us and really speaks and uses his people in these ways. It was all so big, so new, and so important to me. There is a line from the old hymn, He's Everything to Me, that says, Till by faith I met him face to face, and I felt the wonder of his grace. Then I knew that he was more than just a God who didn't care, who lived away out there. And now he walks beside me day by day, ever watching o'er me lest I stray, helping me to find the narrow way. He's everything to me. That's how I felt. But as I look back at that time, where was my love? Were those things, those gifts, more important than loving those who did not agree? Those who had questions or had not as yet seen him and experienced him as I was beginning to? Did the people around me see Christ and his love in me? Remember the first three words of verse 8 say, love never ends. The other things will pass away, but not love. Verses 9 through 12 explain, Now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to, say, face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. When we were kids or teens, didn't people tease, oh, you just think you know it all. And we did at times think that because we don't know what we don't yet know. But as we get older, we grow, hopefully, and we begin to see some of the foolishness of our past thoughts. We gain wisdom. So true also as we walk with Jesus. But here I believe Jesus, Paul is reminding us, exhorting us, encouraging us that as wonderful as all this is, remember love. 
Our God is love, and it's his love we should be displaying and sharing. And as long as we live here on earth, we need to rely on him through the power of his spirit to work in us to love others as he did. And when we get to heaven and see him face to face, we will truly understand, know, and finally see clearly what we can only see now in part. The prophecies, knowledge, tongues will no longer be needed because we will know all and see clearly. But most importantly, love will still continue because he is love. Verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We need faith and hope to live here on earth. The hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, says, Faith for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and ten thousand beside. Faith that God is sovereign and that even when I can't see it, He is at work. Faith to believe that He is always working for our good and His glory. Hope, our eternal hope of heaven. Hope that never gives up. Hope in God and His character. He is just, good, faithful, long-suffering, loving, kind, sinless, generous, forgiving, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and on and on. Why, how do we possess all that? Because great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God, our constant, our source of love that never ends, never changes, and is unconditional. As we live this out, Swindoll poses some self-evaluating questions to dwell and meditate on as we are transformed by this message. First, do you consider love absolutely essential in your ministry? Is love the single most important aspect in your relationship with others? Second, do you demonstrate your love? Does it show through the ways you treat others? Third, does your love fade in and out? Is it fickle, hot and cold? Is it unconditional or fade in and out depending on the responses of others? Is it agape? And finally, does love come to the surface of your life more than any other virtue? That's a tough question to me. A couple other thought-provoking questions that came to my mind When others look at us individually, at Cornerstone, or at anywhere he may have placed us in the body, what do they see? Do they see we are Christians by our love, as the 60s song proclaims? Do they see we are one in the Spirit? Do they see us praying that all unity may one day be restored? Do they see us working together side by side? Do they see us walking together hand in hand? Are we guarding each man's dignity? Are we saving each man's pride? With all praise to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who's the one who makes us one. What do they see? And how does it compare to what Christ wants them to see? So, the love chapter. Going back to the beginning of this book, we looked at the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom. The world tells us, don't be taken advantage of. 
set boundaries. What's in it for me? Do what makes you happy. I don't know about you, but I don't see any of that in here. Here we see a higher calling, one focused not on self, but on the power of God, the glory of God, the love of God, agape. The new word for love only seen through Christ, a self-sacrificial love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This is the demonstration of Christ's love we see in John 15, 13, and that he calls us to and then empowers us to do by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead for the good of others and his glory. I'd like to end with an encouragement from Chuck Swindoll that I'd like to turn into a prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, the ability to love can come only from love's divine source, you, Jesus. So as we try to bridge the loveless canyon in our hearts, O Lord, we recall afresh the great love that you have shown us through the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to depend on the inner working of your Holy Spirit to produce in us a genuine and consistent agape love for others, not for our glory, Lord, but for yous, for yours, to you and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies.